Thanks for listening to The Vine. We're a new church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this sermon helps you in doing that. The scripture reading for this Sunday is Jeremiah 29, 4-14. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those he carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons, which is easier said than done for my son, just to be very clear, and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning we are continuing in our series called The Hope Effect, where we are spending seven weeks considering how we can be people of greater hope. What are ways that we can actually raise our hope level in our life? And uh, this is the third week. The first week we looked at the the character, the person of Jesus and how Jesus was someone of hope because he continued to take care of his soul, to make sure his battery was recharged. He would often find himself going to the lonely places to make sure that he was connected to God and someone full of hope. Last week we looked at another character, the, the person of Elisha, and what we see in Elisha is this ability to see a bigger picture where our expectations of who God is, as well as what God might be calling for us to be, are higher. And we have to have a bigger vision to do that. And so last week, we, we looked at that example. This week, we're looking at the person of Jeremiah, and how Jeremiah, this story that we just heard, gives us a great clue about how to be someone of hope. And that is by looking at the present moment, right here and right now. And so uh, we'll be looking at Jeremiah. He was a, to understand his context, Jeremiah was a prophet, which means that he was used by God to speak God's desires and longings, God's dreams, God's warnings uh, to God's people. And so Jeremiah was particularly used by God to warn Israel that they were turning from who God was, that God had set before them uh, laws so that they might not wander from the good life that God had purposed for them. And they were abusing their neighbor. They weren't practicing the Sabbath. They were worshiping other idols. And again and again and again, prophets were raised up to say, 
Israel, listen, it's time to turn back from God, and they wouldn't do it. And so in uh, 597 B.C., Babylon, which was a neighboring country, came in and they destroyed the armies of Israel. They took over control of Jerusalem. They kicked out the king. They desecrated the temple. And then they took some of the people uh, of the Hebrew nation, they they took them in captivity and moved them to Babylon. Something interesting about the way the Babylonians would do this, they would always choose the, the elite class. Those would be the captives. Those who are the higher class, the skilled workers, the artisans, they would take them and enslave them and then move them to a foreign country. So I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine in our life how we would feel if our neighbor, say Louisiana, or even worse, Arkansas, <laughs> would come over to us in Texas, God's country, right? And... Uh, We'd be in battle, they would conquer us, uproot us from our life, and move us to the plains of Oklahoma. Even worse. So just imagine that experience, though, of like losing your, the prestige that you had, the wealth you accumulated, the land, the relationships, and you were plucked from your life and moved over there. Oh, and by the way, you were warned again and again and again to turn to God. How would you respond to that? Life in exile. That was, that was their experience. That's, that's what Jeremiah was speaking to, a community of people who have, were, they, were, they were kicked out of their home. They were exiles. They were experiencing great homesickness. Not just like in the camp way of like when you're adolescents of being homesick, but actually like the loss of home. It's gone. And they responded in such a way to give us indication of how we can be people that protect our hope. Because they became hopeless. And so in Jeremiah, we see that there's two different traps that we might experience in our hope. The first one is the trap of the past. A life of an exile is one where you might be stuck on the past, right? Where you are so fixated on what was lost, so fixated on how good it was at home. And when you're, in, when you're exiled, you have this, you, this, this trap of the past. For the past six weeks, Jen and I have been kicked out of our home because of a mold problem. We've been bouncing around from place to place, not allowed to go back in our home. We are actually at the residence extended stay for the past week. We were back in our home, by the way. But we were in the residence extended stay for the past week. And it was weird. Every morning, we'd wake up for a free hot breakfast. That's a bonus. Uh, by day three, you're like, I think I saw that same piece of sausage yesterday. But uh, it was funny. Like, you would go downstairs in the morning, and there would be all these business people. And then there's, like, the same four families, and their kids are, like, getting ready for school. Then slowly we start talking to each other. like, why are you here? Oh, our home burned down. Oh, okay. What about them? Their home flooded. What about you guys? Oh, we have a mold problem. Ew. It's like, the wor- it's like the least worst thing you can have to your home compared to fire burning down your home or a flood, but mold sick. You know, it's so gross. Kids, don't talk to them. They're the mold family, you know? Like. <laughs> but for us, for Jen and I, we were like, we just wanted to be home. Like there was a time where we were just like, we are so tired of bouncing around. And we knew that we were about to go home. I can only imagine what it would be like for them 
to lose their home. And what was even more powerful was for someone from the, uh, from the Hebrew tradition, they knew they were in a right relationship with God when they had three things. They had their king, they had their promised land, and they had their temple. And they lost all of it. Every sing- the king was sacked, the temple was desecrated, and they were kicked out of their promised land. And here they are in Babylon of all places. You can see how they could be stuck in the past. And there's something really dangerous about the phrase, do you remember how good it was? Because it takes you out of this present moment. Do you remember how good it was when? And we might say that phrase of the glory days, the way life was back when this didn't happen, when this person was in power, when the kids were still in the home, when whatever it might be. Do you remember how good it was? And all of a sudden we fall prey to this trap of the past. And it's not hard to imagine for the nation of Israel, these exiles who are living in Babylon, to get stuck. They were stuck in the past. But the past can also be another type of trap. Because if they lost their home and they remembered the prophet saying, you have to turn back to God's ways or he's going to hand you over to your enemy. You have to start treating your neighbor with greater love or you're going to be handed over. And they finally were over there. Imagine that shame and the guilt of not doing it right. The fact that not only that you were kicked out of the home, but the promised land is now desecrated because of my own disobedience. And it's interesting how for us, the past can be used as a trap because there is so much shame and guilt that can heckle us from back there. There's so much in our past that we might feel like we're not able to live into the present because we have made our mistakes. We don't, we don't deserve a future. And we can believe this lie because you don't know what I've been through. You don't know the choices that I made. And so we almost wear our shame like this virtue of something that we deserve, that we, don't, we, don't, we haven't earned a future. We, haven't, we, don't, we don't deserve to be present here and now. And this, if you believe in that, if you live like that, it will deplete you of hope because you embrace a life that God doesn't want you to have. This is a great quote from Oswald Chambers. Beware of spending too much time looking back at what you once were when God, when God wants you to become something you've never been. And when we look back, we can forget the fact that God might be working in our life right here and right now, might be making us into something new. That's the trap of the past. But we also see with this life of the exiles here in Babylon, there's also a trap of the future that Jeremiah seems to be speaking of. The trap of the future is while, while in exile, these people were desperate to return to Israel, to get back to where, the way it once was, which, by the way, can never happen. Like, there's no going back, even if they were to return. It's not the same. And so they were desperate to return, and this uh, false prophet by the name of Hananiah came forward and said, I have a word from God, and what God told me is that in two years, we're going to go back. In two years, God's going to deliver us, and we're going to move back home. And everyone was like, oh, just two years? Great. I like what you're saying, Hannah. 
you're hired. You're our prophet. That sounds great. I'm going to listen to your voice. And meanwhile, God's plans were something totally different. So God told Jeremiah to say something a little little less comfortable. And this is in uh, verse 8. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners like Hananiah among you deceive you. If we listen to the wrong voice, we will be deceived and our hope will be misplaced. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. But this is what the Lord says. Not two. When 70 years are completed for Babylon. 70 years. You know when people heard this, they're like, what about two? How about four? Can we just meet in the middle? Four? When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Good promise? 70 years? You can hear how there is such tension between the voices that we want to hear and the voices that God brings into our life. And Because what Jeremiah is saying is, I know you're just like going to hold out, but you need to stop waiting. Because for 70 years, this is your home. You need to discover a life here and now. And here is verse 11. By the way, we love this verse. We will crochet this verse on a pillow and give it to someone. <laughs> and here, here this verse is. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And you hear that and you're like, oh, that sounds so good. God knows the plans he has for me. Plans for hope and a future. I guarantee you, when they heard this in exile, they weren't like, oh. They were like, oh. Why? Because what God is saying, I know the plans I have for you, and that is you will spend your life in Babylon. Most of you will never see Israel again. Most of you will never enter that sanctuary ever again. Most of you will be buried in Babylon. Your new life is an exile. And this actually gives us an important word for how the future can be a problem for us. Because the, the way that the future becomes a problem is this word says, for I know the plans. And then we come in and we're like, okay, thanks for that verse, but I'm gonna just going to make it my own. For I know the plans. And that plan is me getting back to Israel, me getting back to where my life is good, me getting back to what I think I might deserve. And meanwhile, God's saying, no, that's not the way it's going to be. That there's sometimes in our life where the plans of God include Babylon, they include crosses, they include hardship, and this is the plan of God. But there is hope. And the hope is this, the plans will not harm you beyond repair. The plans will give you a hope, a hope now as well as a future. That this is the work of God in our life, is to make us people of hope now and also be people of hope for the future. 
And if we are locked in the future, if we're people like these exiles who are like, once I get back to Israel, my life will begin, we will never become people of hope here and now. We will wait for the pipe dream of what we are hoping God might do in our life at some day, and we will miss out of being present, being like being here. I remember in middle school, my goal in middle school was to hide out. Don't make any movement. Your peer's vision is based on movement. Like, just hide out. Just try to survive. And I think back on those, like, three years for me, we called it junior high, three years of junior high, and how much I missed out on. Because I was just waiting for high school. And guess what? When I got to high school, I was waiting for college. We still might be people who are waiting for that. We still might be people who have this delayed hope for the future and are locked away in the present. Well, once, once I get that promotion, I'm gonna start being more present with my family. Once I finally get that job, make it to that next level, then I'll be here. Then I'll give back to my community. Then I'll, maybe I'll connect more to Jesus. Once I actually have a kid, maybe then I'll start you know, actually having a faith life Uh, there's some of us who are just, we just cannot wait for the day that whenever. We can't wait for the day that I find my soulmate and get married and find joy. I can't wait for the day that we're able to have kids and experience joy and happiness. There's other people out there. I can't wait for the day that our kids leave the home (laughs) and we have joy and happiness. There's some people who I can't wait for retirement can't wait for it. Whatever it might be, and whenever that hope is in the future, what God wants to do here and now is missed. There is power in the present. There is power in the present if we can allow that to happen. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he wrote a classic work called The Screwtape Letters. I highly recommend this book for anyone. It's kind of a weird read because uh, the premise is a fictional book. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote it as a conversation between two demons. It's weird. Uh, so these two demons, there's an older, more mature demon who's, uh, who's training a younger demon about how to rob people, a person, of their joy, their future, their happiness, all that stuff. How to get them disconnected from a life from God. And there's all these different tactics that he's trying to teach his apprentice. And so uh, one of the tactics that he spends a whole chapter on is the tactic of time, how time is used. So here's, here's how this goes. He says, God, therefore, I believe, wants them to attend chiefly to two things, to two different things, to eternity itself and the point of time which they call the present. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. Wow. Like, what we do right here and now touches eternity. The past doesn't touch the eternity. The future doesn't touch eternity. It's right here and now. It's like this pie wedge of like the past and the future. And here we are in this point right here, this point we're living in right now, touches eternity. And what he's saying is we have to get them away from this point in either in the past or the future. Our business is to get them away from eternal and from the present. 
With this in view, sometimes we tempt a human, let's say a widow or a scholar, to live in the past. Let's get them locked in the past. If we can get them locked in the past, we get them away from the present. But there's also the ploy of the future. He goes on to say, we want a whole race perpetually in pursuit of the rainbow's end, something that might be out there. Never honest, nor kind, nor happy now, like right here, right now. Maybe one day I'll be that. But always using as mere fuel wherewith to heap on the altar of the future every real gift which is offered them in the present. If we can get them living for the future, we've done our job because they'll miss out on the here and now. Later on, he would say this about time. The past is frozen and no longer flows. The future is elusive, but the present is lit up with eternal rays. Isn't that just a beautiful description of the present? It's lit up with eternity. And this makes sense because it's only in the present when, where we display gratitude. It's only in the present, like right here and right now, where we display forgiveness and grace and justice and mercy and love. It happens, it's a choice right here and right now, and that touches eternity. The people of Israel, they were locked in the past on what was lost, and others were sitting on their hands, waiting for the future. Meanwhile, the present moment in Babylon was lit up with eternal rays. So notice what Jeremiah says in verse 4 about what, how, for, how, how they could live. In verse 4, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried, I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Listen to this word. This is what God said to them. I want you to build houses, to settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. You ever heard that phrase by a parent? Why would anyone bring a child in a place like this? And this is God's word. I want your new life to be there in Babylon. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. What God is saying here through Jeremiah is, I want you to start living. I want you to be present. Don't focus on the past. Don't wait for the future. Make your home. Plant your life there in Babylon. This is your home. This is your future. And it goes even further. In verse 7, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. What? Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This would have been shocking for the original hearers. You want us to pray for Babylon? They're the ones that captured us. They're the ones that destroyed your holy land. They're the ones that destroyed the temple. You want us to seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon? Are you crazy? Where's Hananiah? Where's, I want to hear that person's idea. And I think part of this is because wherever we go, I'll say this, our identity, their identity was not based on a place. It was not based on the temple. It was not based on their king. Their identity 
was not geographically located. They were the people of God meant to be a blessing to the world, regardless their circumstance, their place, wherever they go, that they were children of God. And what it means to be children of God is that you are a person of peace. So if you're in exile, if you're in Babylon, then your job as a child of God, even in exile, is to reorder Babylon so that it might smell like me. It could look like my peace. It could, for us, that we are called wherever we go to reorder our environments so that it seems like Jesus has just left here. That Jesus has just left here and people who were devalued now are lifted up. That Jesus was just here and that people who were lonely were brought into community. People who were riddled with guilt and regret could experience freedom and forgiveness. This is what it means for us to who live in exile wherever we go, is that we are called to be people of peace. And how would we live differently if the word of God came to us and says, um, if Austin prospers, then your life is going to prosper. Like for us as a church, all right, the vine, if, if Austin begins to flourish, then your community flourishes. How would we live differently how would, how would you live differently? I think we would live with greater generosity, with greater courage. We would be people of wild loving because we know when people experience the love and the aroma of Jesus and Austin flourishes, then so do we. We want to be a church that causes our environment to flourish, to prosper, not so that we prosper, but just so that people can experience who Jesus is regardless who and where we might be. And so I want to do that. I want us to do that. I want us to bless Austin. In verse 12 is how this finishes for us. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, and I will be found by you. What an awesome promise that God's saying, while in Babylon, I can be found by you. You might have lost your home, you might have lost all your belongings and your relationships, but one thing you haven't lost is the ability to turn to me, and when you turn to me and you seek me wholeheartedly, I will show up in your life. Why are we people of hope? Because hope can be found, even in exile. So for your own life, what robs you of hope? Is it the past? Is it where, it's, where you've been, the rubble in your past? Is it the future, either fear of the future or hope? Maybe one day when I start getting that point, I'll be someone of hope, someone of joy. In the movie Castaway, Chuck Nolan was an obsessive FedEx executive. He was a part of a plane crash. He was the lone survivor of a plane accident that stranded him on an island for years. This movie is about hope. It's about how do you keep going. And he was kept alive by the desire to see his one true love, Kelly. And he miraculously made it home to, found, to find out that she had already moved on that she had gotten married and had another child, had a child. And Chuck was left explaining this moment to a friend. Let's watch this one scene. I added it up. 
knew that I had, I'd lost her. Because I was never going to get off that island. I was going to die there. Totally alone. I mean, I was going to get sick or I was going to get injured or something. The only choice I had, the only thing I could control was when and how and where that was going to happen. So I made a rope and I went up to the summit to hang myself. Test it, you know, of course. You know me. And the weight of the log snapped the limb of the tree. So I, I, I couldn't even kill myself the way I wanted to. I had power over nothing. That's when this feeling came over me like a warm blanket. I knew somehow that I had to stay alive. Somehow. I had to keep breathing, even though there was no reason to hope. And all my logic said that I would never see this place again. So that's what I did. I stayed alive. I kept breathing. And then one day that logic was proven all wrong because the tide came in, gave me a sail. And now here I am. I'm back. In Memphis, talking to you. I have ice in my glass. And I've lost her all over it. sad that I don't have Kelly. But I'm so grateful that she was with me on that island. And I know what I have to do now. Gotta keep breathing. Because tomorrow the sun will rise. Who knows what the tide could bring? So you might feel not like uh, you've been shipwrecked on an island, but you might feel like you've been living in exile. You might be in need of hope. You might be wondering what you have control over. And just I just want to share this, that this is the gift of God, is this present moment. The gift of God is that right now, God 
can be found by you. You can turn to Jesus. Right now, this is the gift of the moment, that our hope is not in a sail, it's not in the tide. The hope that we have is that God is here. My favorite name for Jesus is Emmanuel. Say that with me, Emmanuel, which literally means God is with us. That God is here, God is with us. God is passionate that you could know that he is with you wherever you go, in Babylon, in whatever hopelessness, whatever struggle, that God is with you. God will be with you in your future. God was with you in the past, but God is especially with you right here and right now. Why wouldn't we turn to him? Why wouldn't we come to him?